electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. The grand pivot is upon us. And a lot of people are having trouble processing it. That includes today, where the Dow advanced 138 points, S&P dropped 0.27%, and the Nasdaq tumbled 1.34%, all part of the pivot. I'm talking about the fact that inflation is already peaking, courtesy of the Fed's decision to raise short-term interest rates quickly while selling off its huge hoard of bonds in the future, most likely jacking up long rates at the same time. Suddenly, demand is softening while supply is getting more plentiful for a host of goods and for homes. Now, as is often the case, people want to fight the Fed. Right at this moment, they can't bring themselves to believe that the party might be over. The party and the companies that have benefited the most from inflation think commodity producers are the highest growth stocks that are valued on cash flow or orders. Yeah, like the ones found in the now beaten down NASDAQ. Any company that has been raising prices with alacrity will soon be a stock you don't want to own. And they'll probably have to roll back those prices, unless it's something that's impacted directly by the war in Ukraine. They are like food or fertilizer. Even those are coming down a bit, though. At the same time, consumers will be the winners. Whether we're talking about regular people buying stuff from a store or manufacturers buying inputs for their products. The stocks that can fly in this environment have been in a bear market for ages. They are now being freed from their shackles. And a new bull market knows is happening as we talk. Meanwhile, the stocks that had been leading us higher for years, a very narrow group, think Fang, the acronym I came up with, narrow, 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 I think can bounce, was really slaughtered this week, but ultimately are going to get hammered far more than they already have been. If you want to see a living, breathing explanation of the pivot, please join the CNBC Investing Club. <laughs> a lot of people did in the last day. Just to watch yesterday's monthly club conference call. The whole pivot is laid out there 
in a very visceral fashion. How do we know what works and what doesn't work in the situation? You only need to look at history. As I started saying on this show in November, it's curtains for everything other than the companies that make real things or provide real services at a profit and then return some of those profits to their shareholders via dividends or buybacks. The playbook has worked so far so well, and I bet it will keep working now that pricing for so many important things is already peaking. And that concludes freight, as I told you this week, and packaging and homes. In this environment, you need to own companies that make stuff and do things profitably. But let's add also with stocks that remain cheap on a price-to-earnings basis. With that in mind, what's the game plan for next week? Well, first, on Monday, we need to consider if there is anything that could change the flow of the war in Ukraine. That conflict has jacked up the price of oil, but also all sorts of foodstuffs. Those are the remaining areas of persistent inflation, and it's worth having exposure to them in your portfolio, because I don't think this war is, is it over anytime soon. Second, we have to keep our eyes on the long bond. Now, this time, the 30-year Treasury. Not something we've been previously discussed in the show, but we better start now. The 30 or not the 20 is where all the action will be once the Fed starts selling its bond portfolio. You need to know that this sell-off in the 30-year is signifying that much higher rates are on the way. Get ready for them. Higher long rates will likely hurt the NASDAQ like we saw today, not the Dow, which can hold up just fine because it's full of tangible companies that fit my, my criteria and my mantra. Tuesday starts ugly. It's with the Consumer Price Index, which doesn't yet reflect anything peak. So you have to expect another red-hot reading. It'll be inexorable and nasty until we see the peak in everything. Whatever the so-called consensus is, it's, it's almost always too low right now. And so that's going to gaff the bondholders and put pressure on the stock market that day. Also on Tuesday morning, we get two important reports. First, there's Albertsons, which I think will be terrific. Kind of like Kroger. They should also spell out what, whether they're going to try to take themselves private or announce some sort of special dividend or big buyback because they did say something's going to happen. Now, we know Kroger's been on fire because its price increases are sticking. I think the same thing's going to be happening in Albertsons. Hey, how about price increases that may not be? Well, but have been for a while. And that's CarMax, used car heaven. The used car market has been one of the great inflation battlegrounds. Terrible battleground for the Fed. Because there are so few new cars, these used cars have been bid up to outrageous prices. Any sign that this endless series of price hikes is over or that demand has been destroyed by how high it is to buy a used car will reinforce my thesis that all the used car companies must be sold and the Fed's going to get a pass finally on that terrible part of inflation. Here's another very contrary theory about the earnings season. I am now going to offer you a whole new view. You got to own the large banks. Today, the banks, the drugs, you're starting to talk about a new bull market, aren't it? Yeah. The banks, and not just because their stocks have been crushed, Whenever we see urgent rate hikes, the biggest winners are the large banks with the large deposit bases. Hey, like J.P. Morgan reports Wednesday morning. Now, there's a real thicket here. The capital markets have been horrendous, if not nil, and that could hurt J.P. Morgan's profits, definitely. But every time the Fed raises rates, these guys instantly become more profitable on a risk-free basis. Still, I think that the first move, the first it's going to open down, and the, these people are going to look at the capital markets, and they're going to panic and sell, and then you have to start buying J.P. Morgan. Maybe wait till the end of the day. Also on Wednesday, Bed Bath & Beyond reports. The question here is simple. Will big new shareholder Ryan Cohen of Chewy and GameStop fame join the board? And will the bye-bye baby business be sold to private equity? I think it's all on the table and the stock goes up substantially. What else? 
We get to find out the secrets of BlackRock's success when it talks on Wednesday. I want to hear more about how individuals might get to vote their index fund shares. CEO Larry Fink sets the, sets the rules and the agenda for most of the country on these issues. And we got Delta Wednesday. Now, I'm in favor of buying travel stocks because of the great reopening. But the airlines are a tough sell here, given the, how much money they can lose in a Fed-mandated recession. Bat on shoulder, donor airlines into a Fed recession. If J.P. Morgan goes higher off these deposits repricing, thanks to the Fed's rate hike, well, then you should buy back of America. It's going to take off. This is another one that's been obliterated by the weakness in the capital markets. That means the IPOs, financings. But in the end, Bank of America is a regular bank with a vast deposit base that can make fortunes when the Fed starts tightening. It's going to be one giant earnings race for them in 2023, even as they may have to cut numbers for the next quarter because rates have yet to rise fast enough to offset the lack of corporate activity. Also on Thursday, we hear from Goldman Sachs, and I've never seen Goldman Sachs, the stock, this cheap ever. Well, any stock, of course, can get cheaper, even if it's got a 2.5% yield. I think you're getting a fairly good chance to catch a bounce here, if not an investment. Because by this point, it should be no surprise that Goldman's first quarter was ugly. Throughout next week, people will be looking for signs they can play the transports or the semis on any bounce. You must resist the urge to bet on them. It's simply too tricky. Check yesterday's speech. It's just very hard to thread the needle. I don't think most people are nimble enough. I know I'm not with my trust. Now, keep that in mind when you see the coming dislocations as we realize that demand has suddenly gotten weaker for everything and something I know I am very early on. Unfortunately, I bet that Loretta Mester from the Cleveland Fed hasn't seen what I'm looking at when she speaks Thursday as she didn't see in October of 2018. That's why going into three-day weekend, I fear she'll give us a speech that starts at the close of the market that will be incredibly hawkish, perhaps a rough reminder for those who decided to buy stocks that fight the Fed. But the bottom line, even as the Fed goes on the warpath, we've already seen signs that inflation is peaking in many areas. Unfortunately, so is the rest of the economy. Let's go to Marcus in the land of enchantment, New Mexico. Marcus! Kramer, what's going on, man? Eh, I don't know. I'm going to take a trip this weekend. How about you? Oh, awesome, awesome. I'm just going to be chilling, talking to you, I guess. Thank you so much for taking my call. Oh, my pleasure. Awesome. I have a question for you. I'm a 28-year-old investor with a long time horizon. I have a company that is profitable, has recently pulled back, has a monopoly when it comes to computer-aided design, and just recently ventured into the AR-VR space. Is Autodesk worthy of a long-term hold in my portfolio? Exactly. Long-term hold. Because we're going to have some rockiness because it is in tech, but it is a great company. You're absolutely right. I like the call. Let's go to Thomas in Michigan. Thomas. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. I just wanted to start off with a big booyah. I'm a high school student out of Michigan. Uh, My parents are also also wealth managers. I'm calling to ask about Coinbase. I know recently with uh, things happening in Russia, the sanctions, over 25,000 accounts plus have been blocked or banned. I uh, just wanted to get your thought on that. On, on Coinbase? Okay. Yeah. yeah. I don't like them. Uh, I think that they are too contrary to what I see is right to have in the banking business. Let's put it as uh, genteel as that. All right, we're already seeing signs that inflation is peaking um, earlier on this, but when it first happens, then you got to make your move. And that's what I'm saying. The rest of the economy is going to get weaker too, though, so you have to be a little more defensive. 
Oh man, tonight, after reporting an earnings beat, I'm getting a read on the spirits business. Talk about defensive with the head of Constellation Brands. Then retail's been wrecked already. So we're starting to screen 80 retail names to see if any of them are beaten down enough that even if we have a slowdown, you'll do okay. And the oil patches become the wild, wild west. And I'm learning more about what we can expect for the hot commodity with the one and only Rusty Brazil, the expert. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What works in this new environment? Look at Constellation Brands, SCZ, the wine, beer, and liquor company best known for Corona, Modelo, and Pacifico. Yesterday, this stock surged 4.6% in the wake of a very strong quarter. While Constellation had good headline numbers, their guidance for the year, I thought it seemed a little conservative. But then they threw in a $500 million accelerated buyback, and that helped the stock go higher. This morning, in a note reacting to the quarter, the analyst at J.P. Morgan called Constellation Brands the best GARP number in their coverage universe. And that means growth at a reasonable price. And that's exactly what the market wants right now. I think these analysts are dead right. But don't take it from me. Let's check in with Bill Newlands. He's the president and CEO of Constellation Brands. Learn more about the company's quarter and where it's headed. Mr. Newlands, welcome back to Mad Money. 
Thanks, Jim. Good to be here. Bill, I saw a lot of things to like in this quarter, but I have to tell you that I think these Modelo numbers out of nowhere, Modelo Special, you got to tell people about it because this is a new product and it's already taken the country by storm. Another year of 15% depletion growth. It's it's really on fire. We're, we're now the number two uh, brand in dollar sales uh, and continuing to grow at just a great clip. So we couldn't be more excited about Modelo, but there's still a lot of runway for growth. I mean, we, we have a lot of opportunity, for instance, on the draft side. We're only number five in draft. So a lot, a lot left to do. Now, I also thought it was very interesting, kind of worked it in there. But something that I found at Bar San Miguel, Pacifico on draft is now the hot one. We found the same thing. We took out another, I mean, put in Pacifico. Uh, the kids love the, well, not kids, you know, the able to drink age. Think that this is the number one brand. So I'm trying to understand how you could have so many number one brands in certain categories. Well, our products meet a lot of the needs that the consumers are looking for today. You know, these are great sessionable beers. Um, and and they really do. They're step up brands. They're they're premium brands that that fill great gaps. And as you point out, we we've got three of them that are doing great. Corona Extra had a phenomenal year. Modelo did. And Pacifico, you know, in our view, is is the next Modelo. What I found was amazing. Someone asked you in the call, well, what happens, say, in a recession? Your answer was very telling for people about why I think your stock may be the right one. Tell people the what happens in a, in a recession with beer. We found this before. It becomes an affordable luxury. You know, somebody might not go out and buy a new car or buy, buy a new refrigerator, but they want something to feel good about, particularly in a tough inflationary environment. And we're fortunate in our industry that, that we can play that uh, uh, to that need and that, and that desire from the consumer standpoint. At the same time, you're filled with new things. I have in my hand Austin's Small Batch Cocktail Margarita uh, Tequila. Uh, this is a great story in its own, not just because the drink tastes good, but it's what you guys continue to do for the people in this country. It, it certainly is. That was the very first female founder investment that we made. You and I have talked about that before, but it's, it's tremendously exciting for us to be able to bring that into our portfolio. It's now in 28 states. It was up 135% last year. It's way outperformed what we had as the, as the model. And it's very exciting that, that this is an opportunity to, to give capital, and, and this is what we did, to give capital to some of the underfunded uh, groups in this country. And that's a great example, and it's performed extraordinarily well. Well, I know you've got the cash flow to help it and a lot of other things. You're still talking about returning a gigantic amount of cash to shareholders. We made the commitment a few years ago that we were going to bring $5 billion to shareholders by the end of the current fiscal year that we're now in. Uh, and this is just one more step in the process of making sure that we get there. Uh, this, when this is complete, uh, this will put us more than 75% of the way there. And, you know, that's one of our key uh, capital allocation plans. We want to invest behind our beer business. We want to stay investment grade. And we want to return dollars to shareholders. All right. Now, I know you can't speak to it. There's a certain vote coming on that, was kind of, that would make it so that the family would have a different number of shares, Sam's family. Um, is there anything that our viewers should know about that? Or they just read through the proxy and make up their own decision? Because to me, it seems like you really want to flatten the shareholder, have, have, not have two classes. But I, I, that's just me as an observer. I don't own any shares for my trust. Maybe should. Is that right? You just make up your own mind? I mean, I'm not sure what to do here. 
If, if you're a, a shareholder, and obviously you're right, uh, the management is not involved in this discussion. That discussion occurs with a special committee of our board. But if you read what the Sands have said, they think that having a single class of stock will broaden the appeal of our stock. Uh, and, and I think that's probably very accurate. Um, in addition, they've gotten very comfortable over time with proceeding to non-family management. You know, I've been in, I'm in my fourth year in the chair now, and I think they recognize that this is a potentially a very good step and that it will be well received by shareholders. OK, one last thing I need to know about cannabis. Uh, I know that that it's true that canopy has not been a terrific investment. There is still time. It's doing well in some areas. But what about the legislation? Where are we in this country? We're getting closer, I think. Uh, we certainly hope that we are. Uh, we, we saw some activity in the House this past week, uh, and we're optimistic that this is going to come eventually. Uh, what we're really excited about is the Canopy is prepared to win once we get to that time frame. They have pre-existing deals with WANA, with Acreage, uh, with TerraSend. So they're well positioned. When you run pro forma against what the business would look like at a, at a legalization moment, it's quite attractive and it's profitable. So we continue to feel the canopy is best positioned to win uh, once we get to that time frame. OK, I, I should ask you, because it's a the theme of our show, you do uh, give us uh, some a, a kind of a negative view about inflation. Is there any positive, any positive going to come, say, in 2023 uh, with just real costs going up? I think that remains to be seen. You know, we've had unreal cost right. uh, pressures and you know, we got asked the question a number of times yesterday about, about where we think the year's going to go. Um, this is the first time we've guided below our, our long-term 39 to 40% operating margins. We guided to 38. Uh, because of this cost pressure, it's unprecedented. Uh, we certainly hope we're going to get back to a more sensible position uh, in the not-too-distant future, but it's been very tough to predict, I must say. Well, you still made a ton of money. A lot of people were expecting much worse, but you guys know how to handle these things better than almost every other company I deal with. Bill Newlands, President and CEO of Constellation Brands. Bill, it's great to have you on the show again. Thanks. Good to be here. Good story. Good stock for this environment. You heard what he said about how they do in a recession. And I've got to tell you, when you think about beer and you think about a slowing economy, they go very well together. May have money's back here for the break. Coming up, which retailer has the goods, but not the stock price to go with it? Kramer goes brick and mortar bargain hunting. Next. You seek the key, but first you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.
The retailers have been hit hard lately, sandwiched between skyrocketing inflation behind them and a Fed-mandated slowdown ahead of them. But you know what? Yesterday, we got a real reality check. I don't know if you caught it, but it was pretty amazing. When we sat down with Corey Barry, she's the CEO of Best Buy, we got to put aside the big picture worries, focus on how her business is actually doing, not just looking at a spreadsheet, looking at the merchandise. It turns out she's doing pretty darn well. She told us a terrific story. Despite tough comparisons, Best Buy's got a bright future. Perhaps most important, it's also got a supremely cheap stock, one that sells for just 10 times earnings with a nearly 4% dividend. I mean, that, <laughs> that's all thanks to, of course, the 34% pullback from the November highs, and now people are starting to get worried. Are you kidding me? Then during the taping of last night's show, we got a call about Dick's Sporting Goods, one of my faves. Extraordinarily one retailer, just amazing, with a stock that trades at a single-digit price earnings multiple. This used to trade in 25, 30 mostly because it's been written off as a COVID winner. And it looks like 2022 will be a mild down year for them. I told the caller, Mark in Florida, that I like Dix at these levels. The stock's come down so far from its highs, there's just not much danger of getting eviscerated if you buy it. But that Best Buy interview and the question about Dix, it got me thinking, how many of these stories are out there? How many quality retailers are out there trading at merely 10 times earnings or even less the sign of value? It's a good question. See what we did? We got to work in order to find out the answer, which means we had to be very unemotional about it. First, we ran a screen that started with every retailer in the S&P 500, the S&P mid-cap 400, and the S&P small-cap 600. There are 78 of them. We don't want anything too tiny, so we pulled anything with a market cap below $1 billion right out of the lot. And now we have 64 so how many of these retailers are cheap? Looking at where they trade based on this year's earnings estimate, 33 of these stocks sell for more than 10 times earnings. They got the boot. Remember, we're looking for names that are absurdly cheap here. And that brings the list down to 31. When you go discount shopping, you've got to be very selective. Two of the remaining companies have no price to earnings multiple because they're expected to lose money this year. And you know what they are? GameStop and Bed Bath & Beyond, both beloved by Ryan Cohen. He chairs the first, and he's an insurgent in the second. Take them out, and now we got 29 left. So how do you winnow down this list of cheap retailers? Well, we ran a few more screens. First, because we don't want anything with a bad balance sheet. We cut anything with a debt-to-EBITDA ratio over three. Now that brings us down to 19 names. We're almost manageable. Second, while most of these games are expected to take an earnings hit this year, that's the only way so many retailers become cheap. We don't want anything where the earnings are totally collapsing. So we removed anything where the earnings forecast for this year is down more than 20% from last year. Now I got 17 stocks. Third, we don't want any companies that just missed the numbers when they reported their first quarter results. That means no gas, no urban outfitters, no sleep number. 14. Fourth, we cut anything with a dividend yield under one. We don't need a huge payout here, but we like a meaningful one because this is the market that loves dividends. In the end, after all that cutting, that leaves us with nine beaten down retailers that survived that pretty rigorous cutting. And they are Macy's, Signatures, Buckle, American Eagle, Dix, Kohl's, Williams-Sonoma, 
Bath and Body Works and Best Buy. With the exception of Buckle, I've been to all of these multiple times. Uh, Buckle, I have to use the written research. The others, I, have to, I can meld my own views, of which I've been to again many times, with the research. So let's take them one by one. Start with Macy's, which trades at a measly five times earnings. Right now, Macy's is doing surprisingly well. It recently reported a huge upside surprise, the latest in five-quarter winning streak. I also think these guys don't get nearly enough credit for their excellent e-commerce business. Maybe most important, Macy's looks like it's dying to break out. Every few weeks, the stock makes a rapid move higher from the low 20s to the high 20s for getting dragged back down. Eventually, I bet this move, this, th- that this thing's going to move higher. Uh, you're being paid to wait to a 2.7% yield. This is... Of these, I think, a terrific, terrific stock to own. Terrific, okay? Second, Singet Jewelers, the parent of Zales, Jared, K. Jewelers. Now, here's a stock that sells for six times earnings. It's worth noting that Wall Street's earnings estimates are way below what Signet guided for when they reported roughly a month ago. If you believe their forecast, the stock is even cheaper. Under the leadership of CEO Gina Drosos, who comes on the show and is, has done a phenomenal job, Cigna's been taking share and taking names in an incredibly fragmented category. I'm looking forward to what they're going to do in Mother's Day. I bet they get a real boost as people start having more weddings again. For some reason, stock's still hated by Wall Street. I think it should be adored. I have to tell you that when you're looking at this one, yes. All right. Third is Buckle. It's an apparel chain that has been on a roll. Unfortunately, the most recent data point wasn't a good one. At one industry conference uh, just yesterday, Buckle disclosed their sales were down 10% in March. I find it hard to pound the table on this one. However, given the fact that it's got a 3.4% yield, you got some powerful dividend protection here. Doesn't hurt that their balance sheet is pristine. There's, uh, uh, there's only so low that one can go. So Buckle, I don't know. Next! Fourth is American Eagle Outfitters. Oh, this is a tough one. It's been a thorn in the side of my charitable trust, sinking from the mid-30s last summer to the mid-teens today. I've beaten myself up about it endlessly. It is hard to tell what went wrong here, as American Eagle has reported a series of strong numbers. Maybe the problem is that their airy brand is no longer growing like it used to. Down here, though, American Eagle sells for less than eight times earnings with a 4.4% yield and a balance sheet that can pay that. Now, on the other hand, I dispatched my kids to one near our beach house today, and the best they could say was that it was about to be closed. Yeah, they're closing the store. My eldest bought a few things solely to help the morale of the salespeople who seem miserable. Fifth, there's dicks. Yes, which I mentioned before, over the course of the pandemic, Dick saw its profitability explode. And while the earnings are expected to cool this year, I think that's now reflected in the stock, down 29% for the year. At eight times earnings, I think Dix is a steal. Count me in, Dix. Six is Kohl's. Okay, now, given that there's a bidding war here, I don't know how much more upside Kohl's can provide. It's been a winner. But the stock's still cheap, and it's pace of 3.5% yield. Seventh is Williams-Sonoma. Now, here's another tough one. You might think 2022 would be a very bad year for housewares, but when Williams-Sonoma reported a few weeks ago and came on the show, they implied that they can actually generate some earnings growth. Laura Albers, a tremendous CEO, I bet she could pull it off, even as the, some of the analysts this week said the last month's been tough. I still like Williams-Sonoma, and I think down here it can be bought. I'm giving it a check. Next, 
Bath and Body Works, which gained its independence after the old L Brands was broken up last year. Back in the day, this brand consistently posted incredible numbers within the limited. But here we are, more than eight months from the breakup, and the stock's down 29%. I think Bath and Body Works has been thrown in the bucket with the other home goods plays, but it really, really, in reality, this thing's great. I think it could be more recession-resistant than all these others. Ten times earnings, negativity is overdone. We're putting the check mark to Bath and Body Works. Then finally, number number nine, Best Buy. I don't know if you saw Corey yesterday. I thought it was sensational. I won't talk your ear off on this one, seeing as we gave them the nine minutes to tell their own story uh, just last night. We know the first half of the year may be challenging for Best Buy, but we're uh, really we're we're most of the way through the first half now, and they look like a great long-term story. At 10 times earnings, nearly 4% dividend yield, downside protection, what's not to like? The bottom line, today we saw many of these discounted retailers rally nice, but it will take many more days like today before these stocks come close to being expensive again. So I would give any one of these a look. And what you do, by the way, you go to the store first. And then you do some research, and maybe you conclude what we did. I want to go to Michelle in New Hampshire. Michelle. Top of the evening, Jim. Great to speak with you. Same. I have had my eye on a stock for some time. I noticed a decent drop in Cracker Barrel this week. I have a three-part question for you. Part one is why is this dip? simply an artifact of a down market. We've been seeing dips in lots of other stocks. Or is there something specific, Jim, that I need to know about this company? Okay, Michelle, I've studied this company many times. It's entirely trading on the price of gasoline and a belief there will be fewer cars on the road and people won't trade trade up versus, say, McDonald's. Michelle, I'm giving you my blessing to buy it. 4.6% yield. They have... They've weathered every one of these energy spikes. I think you should buy it. Let's go to Wyatt in my daughter's old home state of Oregon. Wyatt. Thanks for taking my call, Jim. Of course, Wyatt. Two years ago, uh, you said that uh, this stock could go higher, and it more than doubled. I stole it when it did. It's uh, a stock that we should uh, go about considering revisiting, Sony. Um, I don't know. Sony's very involved with the gaming cycle, and I think what you're going to start hearing is that the gaming cycle's too far along. I happen to like the company, but I need you to know that that's the chatter, so I can't get you involved in this until that chatter subsides. Okay, look, this is this is what I'm talking about. These are what you should be buying at this stage of the cycle. Look at these bargain buys, and people are going to tell you, oh, I hear the consumer's bad. Well, no kidding. That's why these stocks are where they are. They're beaten up. I like them. Beaten up and beaten down. It'll take many more days like today for them to come close to being expensive again. Now, much more man money, including my suit with oil expert, Rusty Brazil, with oil falling from its highs, but still very, very up there. What could the future hold? I'm checking it. Then Howard Schultz has retaken the reins at Starbucks and commit a host of headwinds I'm discussing what the move could mean for you if you're a shareholder. And then all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer.
Oil was one of the few bright spots in the first quarter, but it's now pulled back pretty big from its highs. And you got to wonder, where's it going? Can the price of crude possibly stay elevated when we're headed for a Fed-mandated slowdown? Can the producers continue to stay disciplined on drilling when they're regularly being hectored by Congress about the sky-high cost of energy? When we have questions like this, you know what we do. We always go to Rusty Brazil. He's the founder and executive chairman of RBN Energy, and he is the king of this area. Rusty, welcome back to Mad Money. Well, thanks, Jim. Great to be back with you again. All right, so Rusty, crude prices, are, they're up 70% from where they were last year. to some 70%. But U.S. crude production, which I would have felt would be up like maybe 50, 80%, is only up 10%. It's still 10% below where it was pre-pandemic. That makes no sense to me. And yet, at the same time, obviously, Congress is worried about high gasoline prices. What are these guys doing? Why aren't they just drilling like crazy? Well, production production is is growing, Jim. The, the, the thing is, it's just not growing fast enough uh, to make up for the cutbacks of Russian production uh, and uh, the, the growing demand that we've got. So U.S. producers have actually... Increased production so far this year about four percent, and if, uh, if it kind of plays out the way we expect uh, year on year, we're going to end up with about eight uh, percent increase uh, in production year on year. But the real question that's out there right now is that you know could producers m- do more? And I, th- I think that's really what was on Congress's mind uh, uh, over the course of the, the, the long hearing yesterday. And you know, there's a lot of things going on. Uh, Costs are uh, up uh, uh, just across the board. Costs for producers are way up, you know, 40, 50 percent in some cases. Um, uh, it's hard to find crews for drilling, for, for completion crews. Uh, uh, of course, producers have to pay a lot more attention uh, these days to environmental issues like flaring. Mm-hmm. And then you've got investors uh, who are still focused on capital discipline, who want to take that key free cash flow that producers are achieving and pay that free cash flow okay. back to shareholders. But, Rusty, let me just and say, that was, I, I, that I, model's been from, working pretty well over the course of last year, if you want to know the truth. But if I'm Congress, I say, wait a second. You turn all this money to shareholders. This nation's in an energy crisis. Why are they getting it? Why not the American people? What do you say? Well, you know, if you look at what happened uh, a year before last, these producers lost billions and billions right. of dollars. It's a cyclical business. If, if a producer doesn't make money when prices are high, they're not going to be there whenever prices turn down. And you have to, have to you know, endure one of the down cycles in, in the oil business. It's just the way the business works. Right. But the one thing you've taught me, Rusty, is, is that the incredible natural gas in this country would make it possible. It could make it possible if the Europeans were forward thinking and spent a lot of money, we could ultimately solve their energy crisis in this continent. Is it going to happen? Well, we're going to increase our production, but it takes a while to make this happen. So we are going to be shifting a lot of LNG from Asia to Europe. That's what's going on right now. It's going to keep going on that way. But we can only increase production in the United States or, sorry, LNG exports in the United States uh, by about another uh, 0.8 BCF over the course uh, of the next uh, few months. And then that's going to be it until we can build more LNG facilities. And that's not going to happen for at least another couple of years. So we're kind of maxed out for the time being. Once we actually build those other facilities, and no doubt, given what's going on, you know, prices uh, in Europe 
at five times what they are here, right. those facilities are probably going to get built. And then when they do get built, we could be exporting another eight BCF out of the United States, which would take care of a lot of what's what Europe needs. Well, that's the, the that would be the dream the scenario. The going to come from the United States because if we build all those facilities and we don't have enough gas here, it's going to be hard to stay warm right. when it gets winter in the United States. True. All right, one last question. Uh, your Royal Dutch, which sold some properties lower here, uh, your BP, uh, you were worried about your uh, your carbon. Uh, suddenly, Russia, your carbon is removed. Do they have to come here and start buying our companies? Do the do the do the BPs and the Exxon's have to come here and buy companies to make in order up for to the production for that they, they lost in Russia? From in the, in, yeah. In Russia? yeah, you know, it, it's distinctly possible that that could happen. Um, uh, they're they're walking away from production. Production is definitely up here. The question there is: Are are the values going to be right for that to happen? Let's face it. Uh, the, uh, the the values of U.S. Com- companies are looking pretty good right now, and it would be a darned expensive way to uh, to make up the difference for what's happening well, in Russia. Well, well, look, I mean, to me, the bright part of what you said is that we can take care of Europe. But otherwise, I mean, look, these companies are making a lot of money. They're not going to necessarily solve the energy crisis for drivers, but, boy, for shareholders, Rusty, sounds like they are. That, that sounds like they are. And they're going to take care of some of the driver's problem, just not all of it. All right. Fair enough. Always great to talk to you, Rusty. Rusty Brazil, RBN Energy's founder and executive chairman. I start every morning with RBN.com. Every morning. Because it's the only way I can be able to be good enough to be able to, to help you at home. Maybe money's back here for the break. Coming up, a storm is coming. So give us a call. Kramer's got the answers to all your burning questions. The Lightning Round is next. It is time! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Joe in Illinois. Joe. Booyah, Jim. Sweet. Joe from Chicago. All right. PTLO, Portillo's. Okay. Now, this is, I'm going to be a little contrary here and say that at this price, I actually like it. It's down 40%. You buy some here, and then you buy some below 20. Let's go to Mark in California. Mark. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Mark here. Uh... My wife and my four-year-old daughter love your show. I just want to say thank you for all you do. The company I'm asking about is S, uh, excuse me, CISO. It's a cybersecurity company. They uplift it to the NASDAQ. I just want to know what you think. Thanks I for your say time, that Jim. you must buy Palo Alto. Again, it was re- Again another price target beat uh, uh, bump today. Palo Alto is the one to own. Ian in Kentucky. Ian. Yo, Jim, booyah from the family farm outside Louisville, Kentucky. Ah, I wish I were there. Ah, I'm here to discuss the ever-growing drone industry today with you, Chief. As you know, drones are practical in so many industries, especially military, agriculture, delivery, and, of course, recreation. I have two stocks on my radar, sir, RCAT and AVAB. No. So the larger... The, the one I like, Avab, uh, Aerial Environment. I think that if you go to the website, you can see the Javelin. You, no, you can see the Switchblade. And the Switchblade is remarkable. I wish, well, look, I don't want to give you my politics, but 
Let's just say that their stuff is really, really good and I think should be employed by our government to give to Ukraine. Let's go to Tim in Texas, please. Tim. Yes. Uh, I'm a big fan of yours. I just started uh, investing a few years ago. I wanted to get your thoughts on Mattel. Uh, Mattel, I like so much. I think it's got a great bright future, 15 times earnings, keeps making the numbers, sell off a little bit from the top. Bye. Jeff in Washington. Jeff. Jim, I've been surfing the waves of dividend stocks. Will I get my onesies out of BAK, even though they have an ARDC? Um, you know, BAK is, I've been, I'm, I'm turning against the commodity stocks, and that is pure commodity. So I'm going to say you're okay, but don't overstay your welcome, okay? Let's go to Ryan in Mississippi. Ryan. Hey, Big Jim, it's good to finally get in touch with you. Here I am. I bought, I bought a stock at $77 a share. That Brother Stephen had told me about. I had big hopes that it. Truth Social was supposed to, Truth Whatever was supposed to uh, premiere in March. Anyway, that sucker has failed down to forty something dollars a share. The one I'm calling about is DWAC. Well, DWC is kind of a political stock, frankly. Uh, it's more of like a home team, away team kind of game. Uh, I'm going to hold off on recommending or pining on that stock. Let's go to Joe in Florida, please. Joe. Mr. Kramer, thank you for taking my call. Of course. Uh, firstly, I'd like to thank you for all you do for helping us get through these turbulent uh, financial uh, ah, markets. Thank you. Thank you. I, I have a stock that I purchased a couple of years ago in the height of the, um, of the pandemic. It's called Retail Opportunity Investment Corporation, R-O-I-C. Mm-hmm. Well, I got to tell you, you got that one versus federal realty. I mean, it's not even an issue. FRT is the one I want to go with. And then otherwise, if you insist on the triple net, then you do want to go with letter O, realty income with a 4% yield. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up. Why Kramer thinks the founder's return to Starbucks is worth more than a hill of beans. Next. The return of Howard Schultz to run Starbucks, even if it's just for five months while they find a permanent replacement, should be greeted with both sadness and happiness. I'm sad because Kevin Johnson's not getting his due at all. He led Starbucks through a tough period amid a worldwide pandemic where the two most problematic areas, the U.S. and China, were his areas of greatest opportunity. Kevin helped fully digitize Starbucks, expanded the loyalty program, increased the benefits for employees, and returned a big chunk of capital to shareholders. He'll be missed. But at the same time, I'm plenty happy to see the return of Howard Schultz, because no matter who he chooses as his successor, he'll set the agenda for the next 10 to 20 years. My charitable trust is not currently a shareholder in Starbucks. We rang the register, so I'm not feeling aggrieved that he canceled the generous buyback. If you own it, though, you can't be too thrilled with that move. Longer term, though, maybe the $20 billion they would have spent on buybacks can be used to improve Starbucks in ways that we've yet to imagine. A lot is being made of Schultz feeling disappointed that some of the stores are unionizing, despite some of the most generous benefits in retail. I get that. Of course, people aren't joining the union for more perks. They want management to take their complaints more seriously. We've had one of the pro-union Buffalo baristas on, and I thought her concerns were pretty meaningful, legitimate. The hours worked, the assignments, they did seem capricious. 
Plus, if you don't want a union in your stores, I don't know why you'd hire a successful union organizer other than through sloppy recruiting. Or maybe the labor shortage is just that bad. Look, I'm never going to discourage anyone from trying to better their circumstances via collective bargaining. Even as I came of an age in a period where organized labor was a lot more powerful and a lot more corrupt. I will say this, though. When my daughter was briefly a barista at a rival store, it sure seemed like difficult, thankless work, especially those hearts made of foam on top of the coffee that are so easy to screw up. So I totally understand why a union feels like uh, the right right way to go for these Starbucks workers. It's hard. Obviously, it's very bad for shareholders. So here's where Howard Schultz can play the key role. I'm sure he'll go all over the world speaking to everyone. And the $20 billion he saved on buybacks can blunt a lot of grievances. Maybe people want bonuses after going through the pandemic. Who, who wouldn't? Maybe more workers need to be added to shifts that are, uh, make it easier to work out. Maybe there are new concepts that need to introduce. To me, the store seems a little stale. There's a reason, for example, why Dutch Bros is such a hot stock. It's all about souped-up caffeine experience and a drive-through that fits perfectly in the empty lots of one's busy shopping malls. In my anecdotal experience, the people at Dutch Bros seem a heck of a lot happier than the people at the last dozen Starbucks I've been to. And I like Starbucks. In the end, when you see successful unionization efforts at a company with such bountiful benefits, it means the existing management team isn't listening. Otherwise, the union would gain no traction. No amount of digitizing or buying back shares can change that. Howard Schultz will play the long game. He knows it better than anyone. He'll actually listen to the employees, and the next CEO will get their marching orders from the founder who still knows best. It's a sound move for the company. And in the end, it'll be a great move for shareholders, too. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I'll probably try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you Monday. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.